ladies and gentlemen, today we have the uh, fabulous author and musician Chuck Lavelle with us here on Texas Renegade Radio. And Chuck and his wife Rose were awarded the Outstanding Citizen Stewards Award by the Secretary of Interior in 1999. They were awarded the National Outstanding Tree Farmers of the Year. He's author of three books, three solo recordings. He's been a member of the Rolling Stones since 82. He's recorded with George Harrison, Eric Clapton, Black Crows, and started with the Almond Brothers and that Texas band, the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Chuck, thanks for spending some time with us here at Texas Renegade Radio. Mark, so great to be with you, and hello, Texas. How is it in beautiful Georgia? Man, it's a gorgeous day here, and uh, I'm just enjoying a little sabbatical being at home. Chuck, I know one of the passions of your life is tree farming and children and your family. Tell us about the last book you've written called The Tree Farmer. Well, Mark, The Tree Farmer is a children's book aimed at children age about four to eight or so. Uh, as you know, I am a conservationist, and uh, my wife, Roselaine, and I own and manage a place in Georgia called Charlene Plantation. We have our own tree farm here. Uh, we've been doing this for well over 20 years, and we uh, very much love our life here, and we're very concerned about issues concerning the environment and, uh, in particular, trees and forests. And I wanted to do something to get our young people, these wonderful, delicate young minds to start thinking about issues that concern us uh, with the environment and in particular with trees and forests. So uh, having written a book some years ago called Forever Green, The History and Hope of the American Forest, uh, of course this was a book for adults, uh, at that time I started thinking how good it would be to do something for children. And so uh, the concept sat there in my mind and rolled over for a while and recently uh, I was able to bring it to fruition, and it's just been a great experience. I'm very pleased with the way it turned out. I had a great collaborator, uh, Nicholas Cravata, that helped me with some of the verbiage, and uh, his wife, Rebecca Blue, did an excellent job uh, doing the illustration. So that's what it's all about, and we're just so happy that it's out there. Well, it's a wonderful book, and I got a copy of it while you were in Dallas, and uh, as most of the listeners know with my dyslexia, it's uh, e it's easy for me to read and great illustrations, so it's uh, a... <laughs> It's a, it's, it's a fun book, and um, you ought to be real proud of it. Chuck, tell us about your, your plantation and your tree farm there. It's, it's near Macon, Georgia. And is that northwest Georgia? Uh, it's actually right in the center of the state, uh, Mark, uh, uh, about 20 miles southeast of Macon. And, of course, uh, most of your listeners may know that I worked with the Allman Brothers Band back in the 70s, and they were based out of Macon, Georgia. That's uh, why I came to Macon, was to explore the possibilities in the music world here. At the time, we had Capricorn Records up and running. And I met my wife-to-be, who uh, was working at Capricorn Records back in those days, my wife, Rose Lane. And uh, we were married during the time that I was with the Allman Brothers, back in 73, uh, so we've been married 32 years now. Pretty cool for rock and roll. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. And uh, her family has been connected to the land for many, many generations. Her grandfather tended forest land. Her father was a farmer and also tended forest land. Her brother uh, is also in involved in these things. And she inherited some land from her grandmother back in 1981. And so this responsibility 
of being a good steward of the land fell on our shoulders. And it was a real educational process for me, Mark. Uh, you mentioned the fabulous Thunderbirds. Uh, I was taking a correspondence course uh, on land use and forestry when I was working with the Thunderbirds back in the middle 80s. And, you know, I'd be doing my homework riding down the road in the bus or backstage uh, in the concerts or in the hotel room occasionally when I could. And it took about a year for me to finish this correspondence course and to get a better understanding of uh, how to be a good steward of the land, how to work the land, how to do the right thing by the land and the other flora and fauna that uh, live within. So uh, that's what started me on all of this, and I've been involved ever since. I have an equal passion for this uh, that I do for music, and it's been a great part of my life. How do you stay focused on the roads with Jimmy Vaughn and Kim Wilson and Thunderbirds? I don't know. How do you, how do you juggle that? <laughs> well, you know, uh, I guess the answer is as best I can. Uh, but uh, having a deep, deep passion for both these things, for music and, and for conservation and the environment, uh, you know, yes, maybe they're somewhat uh, 180 degrees from each other, but, uh, you know, we're all concerned with the environment. Mark, uh, all of us that live on this planet are concerned. We, we have uh, getting close to 300 million people in in this country alone. We have over 6 billion people on the planet. That's a lot of pressure on our natural resources, including our forests. And, uh, you know, I've made it somewhat of a mission of mine to try to bring uh, to the attention of the general public the importance of proper and sound forest management. Uh, There is good news out there. You know, a lot of people think it's doom and gloom for our forests. You know, I get a lot of comments about people say, isn't it terrible what's happening to our country's forests? They're disappearing. They're... And, and actually, that's not true. There's great news out there. As a matter of fact, we have some 272 million acres of forest land uh, in our country, which represents 39% more than we had uh, 50 years ago and some uh, 10% more than we had only 15 years ago. So America <clears throat> is doing a great job in managing its forests. Uh, I think we should all be very, very proud of that. Now, are there problem spots in the world? Well, you bet there are. And certainly we want to address those things, especially in uh, countries that don't have the resources like the United States where forests are being uh, depleted at um, a less than desirable rate. But here in the United States, I think we stand as a shining example of how to do things right. Well, Chuck, it's, it's, it's refreshing to hear a guy like you talk about this because once the press gets a hold of this stuff, we just hear the doom and gloom, and it gets pretty discouraging thinking that we're just being kind of raped and pillaged uh, from our natural resources. And to hear you say that, that's a great thing. Thank you so much for what you do for it. I hope that you can continue to spread, to spread the word. I know that you're a, a, na- a speaker. You go around the country and speak many, many times. Now, I've, I've lived in Dallas all my life, and why would you pick a place like Dallas, a concrete jungle, that uh, that needs probably needs more help than uh, than anybody? Well, listen, it was a great honor to uh, go to the Rosemont School there in Dallas. Uh, your mayor was there, and she was just absolutely outstanding. The school and educational officials that attended the event were just wonderful. I think you guys ought to be real pleased uh, with what's going on with your educational system there. Uh, Dallas is uh, one of the most important cities in our country. Uh, We wanted to pick Dallas. It's it's in the center of of our country. We also uh, did an event uh, on the West Coast in Los Angeles, 
and uh, we're going to be doing more events. We'll be doing one in Chicago and perhaps even more. Uh, I just think, number one, it's a lot of fun. I get a big kick out of working with these kids, mostly second and third graders. Uh, at our event in Dallas, we gathered them in the auditorium. I talked to them and asked them questions concerning the environment and uh, trees and forests. They were very well prepared and had great answers. And then I played them some music, and then we went outside and planted a tree together. And boy, oh boy, it's just a, a great feeling to see these young people too. Uh, begin to think about these issues and to know that hopefully uh, this will only be the beginning for them and that they will learn as they get older uh, about uh, the issues concerning stewardship of the land. Well, I was there and it was a lot of fun. However, I didn't get a souvenir. Uh, was it a wood dollar or? or uh... Oh, yeah, a tree cookie. <laughs> tree cookie. <that's... laughs> we handed out tree cookies to the kids. And of course, uh, this is a cross section of a tree and you can look at uh, at that uh, tree cookie and count the rings and tell how old the tree was and tell some other things about it and the kids really love that. Well, that's great. And uh, you know, Chuck, you've been you've been given so many awards about conservation and tree farming and and such. I read where you were with the signing of the uh, Healthy Forest Restoration Act that uh, came into law in 2003 with President Bush. What did you have anything to do with that or what was your involvement? Um well, yes, I was very, very proud uh, to be a part of that. Uh, the Healthy Forest Restoration Act was a bipartisan piece of legislation uh, that was passed uh, and, and is going to do so much good for our forests in this country. It was mainly aimed at activities in our national forest system. Uh, it will allow people to get in there and to do some great sound forest management practices without so much red tape. It will help to reduce the fuel load in many of our national forests. And uh, as we all know, we see every year some devastating forest fires that occur, in part due to that big buildup of uh, fuel load. So it was an honor to be involved in that. Uh, Yes, I did work uh, to help get that passed. And uh, the reward was that they invited me to come up and sing the national anthem uh, at the signing of the bill and to participate in it. And it was just a lot of fun, and, and uh, I was proud that we got that piece of legislation passed. Well, congratulations. Are you uh, politically minded over there in Georgia? <laughs> well, <laughs> Along with I, all the uh, other things I, that you do? I enjoy working with our, our officials, whether it's on a state level or local level or even national level, uh, with these concerns, the environment and forestry and and uh, biodiversity, and uh, I just think it's important that we stay in touch with these officials, that we let them know uh, our desires and what we think about uh, the situation, and and that's why I do this. It's communication. You've got to communicate with your political officials, or else they're not certain where you stand or what what you think is right or what you want. And uh, I've been very privileged to meet a lot of uh, very interesting people. As a matter of fact, uh, not too long ago, my wife, Rose Lane, and I were invited to attend a dinner at the White House uh, in honor of Prince Charles and Lady Camilla. And uh, as we all know, Prince Charles has done some wonderful things uh, on behalf of the environment uh, with his work. Uh, He's got many charities that are dedicated to improving uh, not only wildlife habitat, but trees, forests, and other aspects of the environment. So it was a great honor to meet him and to thank him for his work and to uh, to be involved uh, with that dinner. It was just, it was a lot of fun. Well, that's, that's exciting stuff. You know, one thing I, 
when I uh, started doing a little research on your project, one thing that doesn't come up is environmentalist. Is that a is that a bad word or? Is, but the, no, I, not at all. No, no, no. I would I, think that would go I, hand in hand with the conservation. Well, you bet. You know, uh, in, in my mind, Mark, those of us that live on and work the land are the true environmentalists. These are our backyards, my friend. You know, those of us that, that have uh, some land that we want to tend, and of, of course we want to do the right thing. We want to keep it uh, in the best shape possible. I think the mantra that we all have is that we want to leave it in better shape than we found it. You know, there's a wonderful old Native American saying that we don't inherit our land from our parents, but we borrow it from our children. And I think that's the way that most tree farmers, most uh, farmers and people that live on and work the land uh, see things. Uh, we, we want to leave what we have in better shape than we found it, and we also have a very long-term view of, uh, of this process. We want our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and generations beyond to be able to uh, work this land, to live on it, and to understand it. Well, what do you tell people out there that you, you go speak to and they, you know, like someone like me, I, 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 love, the, uh, I love the outdoors and, and the environment, and I try to do my part in it, but I get kind of frustrated. What, would, what do you tell people like me that might want to get involved uh, in any of these projects? Well, what I like to tell people that, that want to do something to make a difference, Mark, is first of all, plant a tree. That's something everybody can do. It's a wonderful experience to do it and to do it with your children if you can or with, with children or your nephews, nieces, whatever it might be. Uh, that's a great feeling. They'll get a, a big kick out of it, and they'll get a big kick out of watching that tree grow every year and plant more than one. You know, uh, plant them in your yard, plant them at your, around your schools or around your uh, office buildings, uh, get involved with urban forestry. If you live in uh, a city, uh, I'm certain that you will have a urban forest league and you can get involved with them. They, they uh, accept donations to get trees planted throughout uh, cities. And as we know, we need these trees because they do help reduce uh, pollution in our environment. Uh, you know, if you want to go beyond that, certainly the National Arbor Day is a great organization. If you're a landowner, and want to get involved, there's a wonderful organization called the American Tree Farm System, ATFS. And uh, if you have 10 acres or more, you can join this system. It doesn't cost anything. They have great information uh, about how to proper manage a forest and uh, how to increase your wildlife uh, that, that come to your land. So uh, there's a number of organizations that I could recommend. Those are just a few. And it reduces the stress. Well, you bet it does. You know, in my life, as you can imagine, uh, playing with the Rolling Stones and with other bands, traveling a lot, uh, there's a big electrical buzz that goes on during the whole process. You're playing in front of large crowds, and it's very exciting, and it's wonderful. But boy, oh boy, when I get back to Charlene Plantation and I uh, take that walk in the woods or ride my horse in the woods or get on a tractor and do a little bit of work, uh, it, it really helps to relieve the stress. It helps to provide a great balance in my life. That's great. Well, my favorite tree is the Bodark tree, which is is indigenous to North Texas, and people make fun of me of that because it is a – you could uh, run a uh, tank into it. I don't think it would do much to it, but uh, people would just soon cut those down than, than plant them. So I, uh, maybe I'll make that my project to get more Bodark trees. 
<laughs> I don't even great, know. If you, do you know what a bodark tree is? <laughs> I'm afraid I don't, but oh, it sounds okay. good to me, man. And I tell you what, uh, you know, there, there, there's so many different species of trees out there, and all of them have some kind of purpose. And uh, uh, it's fun to learn about those things. So I'm going to have to look up uh, in in my tree uh, encyclopedia about the bodark tree. Well, good luck spelling it. <laughs> <laughs> But they, they, they in the in the thirties and forties, they they used to cut them down and and use the, uh, I guess the giant tree cookies to uh, use uh, um, building pier and beam houses for the, uh, for the piers. How about that? And That's interesting. Yeah. I, I I'm going to enjoy learning more about that. They're they're a they're a tough tree. Well, you you wrote another book back in two thousand one, Forever Green, and you said that's for adults. I haven't seen that, uh, but can you briefly tell us about that book? Well, you bet. Uh, my book, Forever Green, The History and Hope of the American Forest, uh, came about because of the comments that I would get when I would travel and people would say to me, oh, you're involved with trees and forests. Well, uh, you know, isn't it awful what's going on and terrible? And, uh, you know, I would try to explain to them that actually we're doing a real good job in our country managing our forests. And it made me think about, well, let me just go back and, and uh, trace the history of forest, forestry in this country and get the truth out there. You know, uh, Mark, yes, there was a time in our history when, when we overcut our forests. Uh, but about the time of the Teddy Roosevelt administration, there was a real turnaround in this country. You had figures like Gifford Pinchot, who was known as the father of forestry in the United States. He was the first person to go to Europe to study forest management, to bring that information back to the U.S. And from there, other figures came into play. Carl Schenck uh, was another one of the earlier forest, uh, foresters of our country. You had figures like John Muir, who was a great environmentalist and who cared about all types of uh, uh, environmental concerns in our country. And so during this period of time, uh, we began to turn things around. And from that period going forward, uh, yes, we still made a few mistakes, but boy, oh boy, we learned a lot. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the fact is that now we have 39% more forest than we had 50 years ago. So we're, we're doing a great job here. We should be very proud of it. And again, we stand as a shining example of how to properly manage our forest. You did your autobiography, Between a Rock and a Home Place, which I love the name, and um, you want to? Would you elaborate on that a little bit? Tell us about that book. Well, sure. You know, I wrote uh, the autobiography "Between Rock and a Home Place" uh, a couple of years back. It was after the uh, Forty Licks tour with the Rolling Stones, and I was turning fifty years old, and I just wanted to uh, write down some of the memories uh, that I've had uh, as a musician, and also to document some of my feelings concerning. Our, our, my family and about uh, the importance of our environment and the uh, things that I had learned being a tree farmer. And I worked with a great writer named uh, Jeff Craig, J. Marshall Craig, and Jeff's been a friend of mine for, oh, 15 years or so. Uh, I wanted someone that I felt could articulate my story, and so we worked cl very closely together. We gathered almost 200 photographs for the project. And it was just really a great experience to be able to recount some of the things that have happened to me in my life, both good and bad, and, uh, and to reflect upon it. And, you know, at the end of the process, it made me see and understand how fortunate I've been in my career as a musician, 
and uh, in my life as a husband and father and uh, as a conservationist. I'm very impressed, and I, I, uh, I'm amazed how you have time to do all this. And you're also getting, to be re- getting ready to be a grandfather. Congratulations. Thank and, you so much for that. Uh, very fortuitous that uh, when we started the children's book, The Tree Farmer, uh, I did not know that I was going to be a grandfather, but the storyline is that a grandson comes to visit his grandfather on a tree farm, and the grandfather takes the boy on a tour of the tree farm and tells him what it's like to be a tree, tree farmer and some of the things that we do um, as land managers. So uh, then after we had started the project and was coming close to completing it, uh, our daughter Amy and husband Steve announced that uh, they were going to have a baby, and so wow, 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 that, that, that was really fortuitous, and, and it's great that that is coming into our lives. Uh, Amy expects to have the baby sometime in mid-February, so we're just over the moon about it. All right, maybe February 13th. That's my lucky day. <laughs> Sounds good. Chuck, you uh, you came out with a new record. I, w- I want you just to briefly tell us about your three records, but you just came out with a Southscape, which came out this year. And uh, how, how do you promote that when you're on the road with uh, the Rolling Stones and you got your brand-new solo project coming out well i'm very pleased uh that my new record southscape is is out and it's doing quite well uh i should explain a little bit about what it's all about Uh, southscape the name the the word refers to a musical portrait of the south Uh, i was born and raised in alabama i moved over to georgia in the late 60s and i guess you could say i'm just a die-in-the-wool southerner i love the south uh, and i wanted to do something musically that would reflect my feelings and my passion. And so uh, I was able to, to do that with some great musicians, uh, Tim Reese playing some saxophone, Tim plays with us with the Rolling Stones, my friend Randall Bramlett, uh, who worked with me in my band Sea Level, uh, played some sax as well, Chad Cromwell, who's worked with Mark Knopfler and uh, Neil, Neil Young, uh, great drummer, Chad uh, was was able to play with me, and Michael Rhodes, a um, good friend of mine and an amazing bass player, came on board. So we recorded it uh, starting late last year, and we were able to get it released around summertime, uh, late summertime of this year. Uh, had a lot of fun uh, promoting it, uh, get to talk to folks like yourself and discuss what it's all about. It's gotten some great reaction. It's getting some play on the smooth jazz stations. And, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to do other projects as time goes on. I love playing with the Rolling Stones, but that's certainly not the only thing I do musically. And uh, I enjoy doing my own projects. I also enjoy on playing uh, playing with other people on their records. Chuck, you've played with uh, the Charlie Daniels Band, Iris DeMint, John Hyatt, Marshall Tucker, Katie Moffat, Billy Joe Shaver, the Almond Brothers. Those are a lot of people that we've continued to spend over the last 22 years. Can you tell me what it was like maybe starting out with the Almond Brothers and playing on a couple records that we still play a lot, uh, Searching for a Rainbow with Marshall Tucker and Carolina Dreams, Billy Joe Shavers, Honky Tonk Heroes? Oh, yeah, man, I'm just honored to be uh, working with those people and to have worked with them throughout my career, uh, whether it's in a recording situation or whether it's playing live with them. Uh, I think most musicians would be very happy if they had a career where they were successful with one band uh, throughout the career, 
But I think that's what's made my career so interesting and so much fun, to be able to dance with all these different partners, if you will, to be able to make music uh, with, with people that play country music, make music with people that play jazz or rock and roll or whatever it might be. You know, you can take uh, the information that you learn from one artist and apply it to another and uh, just keep that cycle going. And it's been an extraordinary career for me, an extraordinary honor to work with all of those people. Well, looking back on your career, of all your musical moments, what is the one that stands out to be the greatest? Oh, Mark, there's been so many great moments. Uh, a couple that come to mind was with the Allman Brothers Band back in the 70s playing uh, at the Watkins Glen racetrack in upstate New York with the Grateful Dead and the band, in which we had over 600,000 people attend. That was a, an amazing thing to, to witness and to be a part of. Uh, another great moment for me was in 1990, when the Rolling Stones played uh, in Europe, and we went to Prague, uh, the former Czech Republic, and as we all know, in 1989 was when the wall fell over there, and uh, there was somewhat of a revolution going on, and we played the city of Prague to uh, about 130,000 people. Uh, there were posters around the town that read, Tanks roll out, stones roll in. So those, those were some great moments for me. And of all the musicians you've played with, I guess what would be the favorite musician that you've worked with or the most favorite project that you've worked with? Again, there's been so many projects. Uh, certainly the Eric Clapton Unplugged record was, was a big moment for me. Uh, just I think the stars lined up and the band played very, very well, and, and I think we made a great record uh, being a live record in that situation. That, that was a wonderful experience. Um, I would also have to mention the moment, uh, very special for me, playing with Ray Charles, uh, oh, I guess probably in the mid-'80s on a show live in uh, Rome, Italy. Uh, great honor to, to work with one of my heroes. Uh, he's, he's a person that has affected all of us. Uh, whether you're a musician or just a listener or whatever, Ray Charles was the bomb. He was a, one of the greatest of the greats, and um, to to be able to play with him was a, was a huge honor. And I was able to speak to him briefly and tell him what he meant to me as an artist and as a musician, and I'm so grateful I was able to do that. Well, isn't he the one that kind of got you started playing the piano? Well, when I was very young, my sister took me to a concert. I must have been maybe, oh, 12 years old or, or, or maybe even younger and I had just never seen a band like that I'd never seen a band of that quality a, an artist of that quality uh, of course there was Fathead Newman playing sax uh, Billy Preston was in the band playing uh, Hammond B3 uh, the Ray Letts were singing and of course Ray was a, was the star of the show and wow it just so moving to me and and uh so much fun, and I was mesmerized, I was hypnotized, and I made up my mind that night that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional musician. I wanted to play in a band that could be somewhere near as good as that one. That's great. That's great. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for spending um, your morning here with uh, Texas Renegade Radio, KNON 89.3 FM, Dallas. And, uh, man, I can't tell you how many how many songs that we've spun on this on this station that you have had a lot of input on and it's a real pleasure to uh to have you spend the time with us mark i appreciate it so much i uh, love everybody there in texas look forward to coming back uh, thanks so much for the opportunity to talk about the new children's book the tree farmer to talk about 
my, my other two books, uh, Forever Green and Between Rock and a Home Place, my new CD, Southscape. Thank you so much for that, and uh, love you, Texas, and we'll see you again real soon.